I hope we're good and ready to go. So if you've got your Bibles, grab them out. We're going to go to the Gospel of Matthew. If you needed any more reminding, it's December and Christmas is just around the corner. 24 sleeps. Not that anybody's counting, other than my kids, of course. But our tree is officially up. I did uh, lodge a half-hearted appeal again this year and was quickly overruled. Gets earlier every year. It was a few days before December, but ready or not, here we go. The Christmas rush begins. So I thought that we might have opportunity this year. Last year we... uh, had a sermon series that went right up nearly to Christmas. And a few people said, you haven't preached any messages that are even remotely Christmas-themed. So I'm starting early this year, and we're going to have a message that is more Christmas-themed rather than Christmas-focused. So let's pray, and let's just ask the Lord to use this time to speak to our hearts. So Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for that which we have already done, just for the joy that it is to be able to gather together and worship you in song and as we move now to worship you through the reading of your word. And Lord, I am not so much interested as to whether this is an eloquent sermon or a funny sermon, an entertaining sermon, but Lord, our desperate desire and our great need is always to hear from you to hear your voice. Thank you that your word always accomplishes all that you send it forth to do. And I pray that you would speak to us this morning. Grab a hold of our hearts. Lord, we don't want to live half-hearted lives. We don't want to live so distracted and torn in different directions that we lose sight of the reality of why you have put us on this planet given us breath in our lungs to glorify your name, to live for the glory of all that you are, to exalt your name. So would you be exalted today? Would you come and meet with us? Help me, Lord, because we all know that I need it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I don't have so much of a message this morning as more of a theme. I know that's concerning to say when you're about to get up and preach. But I do have something that I feel is specifically from the Lord for us, and it will lead into, I'm hoping, what I believe that God wants to do this morning in our midst. So let's read Matthew's Gospel as he opens up this account. Matthew says this in chapter 1, verse 1, The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. You're probably all wondering now if he's going to continue and read the very long list of names that follows. And I did think about it. I genuinely did, but in the interest of time, let's skip down. We'll pick up verse 16 of chapter 1. And Jacob, the father of Joseph the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called the Christ. And just to finish this passage, so all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations, and from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations, and from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. 
And I always love as you read through the Gospel of Matthew. Remember, Matthew was a, a tax collector. He was the accountant of the group. He seems to me to be the guy who always liked to dot his I's and cross his T's. He's like, there's 14 here and there's 14 there and there's 14 over there. There's these nice, neat little boxes. And as you go through, the, f- the phrase that he repeats more often than anything else is, as it was written, or this is to fulfill, he, he likes to connect things together, to dot his I's, to cross his T's. He is that kind of a guy. And so you might ask, well, why is this important? And the r- reality is there's a number of reasons for why this is important to have these kind of details, details at times that we might like to, if you're anything like me anyway, let's just skip past that and get to the good stuff, get to the meat, get to the more exciting stories. But I bring that to your attention this morning for this specific reason. Of course, Matthew is setting the scene here of the coming of Messiah, the birth of Jesus Christ. And of course, all of us know that's The reason for the season, that is what Christmas is all about. And yet the story, and we'll explore it more in coming weeks, it begins in this context, in a specific setting and against what I would suggest is a very clear backdrop, and that is a backdrop of family. See, the Holy Spirit is emphasizing something through Luke as he Pens using Luke's very detailed brain of there's 14 here and 14. There's nice, neat little boxes. Who else likes nice, neat little boxes? A few of us there. We'll pray for you later. I'm sure the Lord can deal with that. But in the midst of these neat little boxes, the Holy Spirit highlights something that I think is so important as we examine the context and the setting of this story. And it is this reality of family. Begins with a family tree, the genealogy of Jesus Christ, as Matthew writes. The son of David. There it is up front. The son of Abraham. Following down through the generations, of course, to the end of the genealogy. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called the Christ. See, what does this say to us? I would suggest this, and this is the theme this morning. This is what I I want us to unpack. And as I said, it's a a loosely Christmas-themed message as opposed to being a Christmas message per se. But I want to suggest this, that from the very beginning, we see clearly in Scripture, we see this in the plans and the purposes of God, And I'd phrase it this way, family is God's plan. It's God's design. It's always been God's plan. That God is a God who has covenanted with families. We begin with Abraham. The covenant that God made, not just with him, but with him and his wife, that through this family all the nations of the world would be blessed. Of course, David, that his son would be the one to rule upon his throne, upon the throne of of David, but he's a God who covenants through families, who works through families, whose promises are revealed through family, fulfilled through family, and ultimately he was born into a family. Have you ever thought about that reality of the Christmas story, that God 
in the incarnated form of Christ, if you like, or Christ in the form of man, God, you know what I mean, God coming as a baby, he comes and he steps down, not just into human flesh, but into a family. And I love it in Matthew's detail that he includes Joseph in this picture, remembering that as we know how the story unfolds, that Joseph, he had a lot of doubts. He had some uncertainties. Mary's found to be with child. And in fact, Scripture makes it clear that he'd made up his mind. He decided that I want no part in this. This is not for me. This is too uncomfortable. It's too much. And it says that he'd actually decided to quietly see if he could just absolve himself of this this whole situation. And it's in fact the Lord through a dream that encounters him and says, no, this, this is important that you are a part of this story. Now, in some ways, it, you could almost imagine this having unfolded as God saying, well, I guess we don't really need Joseph, do we? Like he's not going to be around when Jesus is ministering and it's not really essential in the story. Let's just go ahead with Mary. Let's just continue there. And that's not at all what he does. See, Christ comes and he lives for 30 years before he begins his ministry to the best of our knowledge, just as a normal member of a normal family, if we can use the word normal for family at all. See, God stepped down into a family, and in fact, if you wanted to take this further, not only did he step down into a family, that's not the end of the story, but he came to make a way to redeem and reconcile us for us to come back into his family. Family is, if you like, the bookends at either end of this story. It revolves around this picture of family. And I said it was loosely Christmas themed, but part of my desire in bringing this before us is that we are approaching a time where family in the natural does become front and center for good and for bad. I was talking to someone just this past week and said, what are you doing for Christmas? And this particular gentleman was telling me and so the conversation unfolded about all these Christmas traditions. He's like, I love Christmas. Any other Christmas lovers in the room? You're not so sure now, I think. But there's a lot of people, they love Christmas. And, and he was talking about these traditions that he used to do as a kid and all the, the different things that would happen around this time of year. And all of his good memories, if you sort of peel back and, and bring them down to their essence, are because he has good memories of family. That's the connection there. For a lot of us, for a lot of people, Christmas is an incredibly difficult time. And I would suggest by the same token, the other side of the coin, the reason that Christmas can be so difficult is because when you boil it down, there's a lot of bad, negative, hurtful, harmful associations with family. See, there is this reality of family as this gloriously wonderful and at times gloriously difficult, painful and challenging reality. As a comedian who once said, I've never forgotten Winston Churchill's immortal words. We shall fight on the beaches, we shall fight on the landing grounds, we shall fight in the fields and in the streets, we shall fight in the hills. In fact, he said, sounds exactly like my family holidays. I won't ask for a show of hands as to who can relate to that particular scenario. But family is this gloriously wonderful, gloriously difficult, painful, and at times 
messy reality. And my heart in us examining this is really two things. It's to hopefully in some way discover afresh God's glorious plan for family. And then, by the same token, to examine very briefly our great responsibility. Families matter. It's his intention. It's his plan. And, and I'm hoping that as we see the call that there's this, there's this desire in our hearts to fight for strong families that endure, that declare the glory of God, to believe, to pray for bold, godly families, praying like our church and our nation depend on it. Because as we will discover in many ways, it does. Now, I want to say up front here that I'm emphasizing family and I understand that even bringing up the word family is difficult. It is. It's difficult and it's challenging for some. And if you're a single person here, you're probably already checked out thinking, well, this is not for me. But because it's difficult is exactly the reason why I want to bring it up. And I want to do that for a reason, because as you look at this genealogy here, and as I said, we didn't have time to examine it in detail, you know, there's one reality that sticks out to me. This is not a list of people who had perfected what being family was all about. But this was a list of people for whom God's grace was so evident and perfected in the midst of their mess and their brokenness, and their weakness, that he, in the end, as Matthew proclaims, boldly and joyfully and gladly, gets all the glory. You see, there is a grace to meet us where we at. And whether you are this morning single, whether you're a single parent, whether you're married, whether you're with kids or with too many kids, whether you're estranged, from every other biological family member. There's a couple of key realities that I want you to know. Number one, you might have no family in the natural, but you have a family here. We serve a God who is a father, and he's a father who his word proclaims places the solitary in families. So you have a family. Don't believe that lie that you don't have a family. Oh, this doesn't apply. I'm just single. You have a family. You have a family. And the second reality is that there is a grace to meet us where we're at. This is not to say that if you don't have the perfect family that somehow you've missed the boat and it's all over. My heart and my essence is, in the essence of this message, is that there's a grace from God to meet you right where you are at. And I want to talk about how we can find victory in whatever the reality of family is for you today. Any of those scenarios. Does that make sense? Can we say that as a disclaimer? So in this season, focused upon family, letting the grace of God find you where you're at. Because here is the reality, and this is on my heart so strongly this week, that God is a God of restoration that God is a God of reconciliation, that God is a God of reconnection, that God is a God who, who leads us to repentance where that's necessary, refocus, refiring in our fight 
for family and to live victoriously in that area of our lives and not just for ourselves, but for the church because a healthy church is built upon healthy families and not even just for the church, but for the society around us because as the saying goes, as the family goes, so goes the society around us. The society will only ever be as strong as the families in it. See, family is important. So let's quickly look at those two realities. And then, as I said, I really have this desire to pray for some things this morning. So number one, as I said, this is God's great purpose. It's his great plan. It's his great call as Matthew opens up the story of the coming of Christ. He focuses on family. God's covenanted with families. This was always his plan and his purpose. Family was not an afterthought, not an added extra. He didn't make man and go, oh, how are we going to make it work? I guess we better kind of just stick him in a family and hope for the best. This is his plan A. Began in the garden and it will continue all the way through to the eternal city. God is a family. Genesis 1.26, he said, let us make man in our image. As we've already said, he covenants through family. He expresses himself through that community. The greatest commandment is what? That we would, we know this, that we would love. That's right. That you would love. And John 13.35, Jesus says, by this, all men will know that you are disciples. And this gets me every time. See, I would have thought that he would say, this is how people will know that you're my disciples, by the love that you have for me, by your devotion, by your commitment, by your church attendance, by whatever else you might want to put into that particular equation. But he says, no, this is the test. This is how people will really know that you're my disciples, that you've got this thing of grace, that you understand what it means, that God loves you. And it's the flow of love. It's not that you get the love even. It's that the love is flowing through you to others. In fact, it says elsewhere, you cannot claim to truly love God if you do not love those around you. And that begins in our families. So God creates family, this glorious plan reflecting his nature more than perhaps any other relationship. So think about this, it didn't have to be that way. We read in scripture that the angels, for example, are created and they're not given in marriage. The angels do not have this structure of husband and wife and family. That's a unique reflection of the heart. We're made in the image of God to reflect his nature. And family is a part of that. This biblical reality from the beginning, it's established in the garden. We see it all the way through upheld. All through the New Testament, this instruction to know how to love well in our families. I love what Francis Chan says. He, he puts it this way. He says, displaying God to the world is the purpose of the church, but it's also the purpose of marriage and the family. People should see the way that I serve my wife and get a glimpse of the humility that Christ showed. People should see the way that I love and discipline my kids and be drawn to the reality of a loving father. There's more in stake in your marriage, and we could say in your families, than just your relationships. 
the very beauty and essence of the gospel is at stake. I don't know about you, but that kind of that kind of hits me pretty close. Because it's very easy in my life to be focused out there at doing things for the kingdom, at preaching the gospel, at witnessing to my friends, I mean, all, all those things that we could have as those externalities, but to neglect that which really counts, which is obviously first and foremost to love the Lord. But then how does the way that I treat my wife reflect the gospel? How does the way that I love my kids and discipline them and care for them and serve them selflessly, encourage them, exhort them, how does that proclaim the gospel to a world who's in desperate need? You see, God wants families to succeed and prosper. He designed the family to be this glorious demonstration of his reality. And I believe that that's why... And we see this so clearly in our society today that the family unit is under attack, perhaps more than any other thing. From the very beginning, the enemy has sought to undermine the family unit. And I believe it's for this reason. If you can cut it off there, then the battle is already won or lost. If he can wedge in a better route, turn the hearts of the fathers away from the children and the children away from from the fathers, then the flow on is endless and it is limitless. And I want to say that not for a moment for us to be discouraged. I know that the world is redefining marriage and families to whatever and everything that they would like to redefine it into. But I would hope that for us, that that in fact would be a greater mission and give us a greater urgency than ever before to let the way that we live our lives in our families reflect the glory of God. Let's not settle for anything less than what God has designed and destined us for. That's why I'm painting this picture. I know there's a reality of brokenness and we'll talk about that in a minute. But don't let the brokenness around us cause us to just give up. Oh, well, my family's a mess. I can't have anything good. God can't redeem it. I'm saying, no, no, hang on a sec. Here's the first picture. Marriage is good. We can do this well. We can do this victoriously. Even in the midst of the brokenness and everything else around us. And here is the reality. See, if believers in Christ, if Christians cannot model healthy marriages and families to the culture, then who's going to do it? Then who can? We've been given this gift established by God himself for his good, for our good, and for his glory. And it's a wonderful picture. It's a glorious picture. And I always say this, the best defense is a good offense. We want marriages and we want families that the world looks at and says, that is so outrageously good that it's just not normal. It's just not normal. We want to, hopefully, and, and I'm, I'm trying to preach this in love in a way that kind of helps us to see past where we're at now, to give us something to hope for. And by the way, I don't want this message to come across in any way like, 
look at my marriage and my family because I've got all the answers. We had dinner actually recently with some friends of ours. A couple of weeks ago, we're sitting down and talking through some different things and they turned to us at the end of the dinner and they said, oh, actually, we've just realised that every time we catch up, we you know, talk all, all about our stuff and we never ask you guys how you're going. It does happen a lot when you're a pastor. So they said, so how are you going? And I'd had a bit of a, you know, a rough week. So I thought, I'll just share a few things. And I did. And there was open jaws, wide open eyes. I think they were a little in shock. They were like, oh, um, okay. <laughs> yeah. And they said that. They said, we just thought that, you know, you had a perfect life and that you never had any problems and issues. And so if ever I have said anything from this pulpit... That's indicated in any way that I have it all together and I have all the answers, then it's a lie from the pit of the hell. And don't believe it. Discard that. Get rid of it. We're, we're in this together. And I've been wrestling this week with the Lord saying, God, I, I don't want to settle even for where I am. I want the best. I want to love my wife. I want to stand before the Lord. And be able to say, God, I did everything in pursuit of loving her sacrificially. I loved her like you loved me. Lord, I, I did everything I could with my kids to bring them up, to love them, to encourage them, to exalt. Like, I know that there's areas in my life where I need to change. I need to grow. And we all have those. All I'm saying here is that there is this glorious picture of family. And I know that the reality often is far from that. But don't let the reality rob us. Don't let the past disappointments, don't let the past rejections and hurt. We'll talk in a moment about how we can let God's grace in there. But don't lose sight of the big picture. Let's do everything that we can. And that moves me on to the second point here from God's great and glorious plan to our great responsibility. I want us to see the call. I want us to hear the cry. And I want us to take the first steps towards finding God's grace and moving towards greater victory in our families. I had someone this week pass on a, a little devotion, which given that I, I had in mind the particular theme of the sermon, I thought, this is good. This works. I need another sermon illustration. So let me read this particular devotion that was passed on. It says this. In an ancient Syrian church in India is a wonderful old brass lamp with about 100 arms hanging from the ceiling. At the end of each is a cup with oil and a wick. At the close of the service, the young people come up and take one of the wicks from the lamp to guide them home through the night. Standing on a distant hill, you can see the points of light here and there moving amid the darkness. This is what a Christian home should be, a place where young people have put within its hands a torch to guide them as they go out amid the encircling gloom. Once my mother put a torch in my hands, though she did not know she had done so, the shadow of financial and other calamities was upon the home, one of those periods where pain and trouble seemed to be breathed in the very atmosphere. Yet going upstairs at midnight, I heard a muffled voice stopped and I heard my mother in prayer, a heartbreaking prayer. That little crack of the door, a little peep into her heart. For at midnight, the reserves which had been kept up so bravely during the day were all down and I saw it into the depths. 
What a flame of suffering love there was. I took a wick from that lamp of devotion that night and it has lighted me down the years. This is the conclusion. It says this, The saddest thing on earth is a spiritually poverty-stricken home where there is no central lamp from which youth can get a torch. Be victorious in the home and you are victorious everywhere. Be victorious in the home and you will be victorious everywhere. See, victory begins in the home. It does. And I know from here, and I, I thought about possibly going a little bit down this path, but it would be easy, easy to go down a trajectory of talking then about, well, how, how do we build strong marriages and how do we love our kids and, and many of those different aspects. We could easily do a sermon series. We may well at some particular point on how do we really build strong families and marriages. In fact, we as a church, we offer courses every year. I mean, there's, there's help available and all of us need help sometimes. We do. It's like I remember going to the dentist at one point and I was uh, a little bit embarrassed, but I said it with some pride. I said, well, you know what? I haven't been to the dentist in nearly 20 years. And the dentist looked at me in shock. said, well, no wonder your teeth are in bad, such bad shape. And I feel like sometimes that's the way that we walk around. We're, we're like, oh, well, I don't need any help. I'm fine. I can just walk around with my teeth gangrened and hanging out and... That's okay. Bad breath all over everybody. It doesn't matter. It's all right. We, we all need help at times. And we run courses. We help couples every year. If you need help, reach out. But that's not really my focus this morning. My focus this morning is, as I said, hopefully to see this call a family as a good thing, as something that we can all head towards, to hear this cry that it is worth fighting for not just fighting for it's worth giving everything that we have as much as it depends upon us in the midst of the brokenness in the midst of the mess in the midst of the battles to get back into the game and i want to conclude with this question what for you then is the first step towards victory how do we take the first step towards victory. And maybe for some of us, it's going to look different. Maybe for some of us, it's purely just keeping on. It's just continuing to continue on. I had a conversation in our last home group, and in the midst of the circle there, we were sharing about some different people who'd really influenced our lives, some heroes of the faith, and there was all the usuals there. And someone in the group said, you know what? I have someone quite different. And this particular person is someone I know, and it's a single mum. And this gentleman, he said, you know, I've seen her life, and she's been through difficulties, and she's been through struggles. But she has never given up. She's kept on keeping on. She's loved her kids. She's ministered to others. She's raised up her young ones the best she could to, to know the Lord and served him wholeheartedly. He said, you know what, she is... Just the greatest inspiration I can think of, of someone who has just kept on keeping on, taking steps towards victory. See, some, for some of us, perhaps it is in our families and our relationships, and I'm not just talking 
immediate family here. I'm talking about in the broader picture. Perhaps it is choosing to forgive. It's so simple, but I would say without any shadow of a doubt, I've seen people hanging on to bitterness and unforgiveness and resentment destroy more marriages and families than anything else, hands down. People who literally have come into my office over the years and thrown away their marriage. Just, just like it was an old pair of underpants. <laughs> Grieving and horrible. Literally that horrible. Maybe it's choosing to forgive. Maybe it's choosing to re-engage. Husbands with wives, children with parents, parents with children, to find ways to reconnect. Maybe for some of us there's estranged loved ones. And the Lord at this time would just gently knock on the, the door of our heart and say, you know what, maybe, maybe it's time. Just in his mercy and his grace, maybe it's time to revisit and allow his healing and his grace to come into some of those deeper areas. So I want us to conclude there. If you put your Bibles away, if we get the worship team to come back and just I want to give us a moment this morning, just between you and the Lord, just to allow him to shine the light of his mercy and grace. And as I said, this is not a message about condemnation and feeling we've messed up, we've missed the point. This I'm really praying from the Lord will be a moment where his grace can come into those places, in, into our families, can meet us right where we're at and can cause us and help us to take that first step towards walking in greater victory. Because it counts. It counts. What if we were to be a people who were marked by the victory in our families? What if we were to be a church that the world would look at and say, you know, I, I don't know what they're doing. But there is something so radical going on in the way that families in that church, they love each other. The wives and husbands, they forgive, they connect, they... The kids submit to the parents. The parents love the kids. Now that would be a witness greater than nearly anything else. As Jesus himself said, by this they will know that you're my disciples. By the love that you have for one another. And it's my prayer that that will begin in those closest to us. Can we pray? So, Father, I just thank you for this, this picture that you've given us. We've seen it as Matthew begins his gospel. This centrality, this focus upon family. In all of its glorious call and in all of its confusion and at times disappointment, 
hurt. But Lord, I pray that for for each one of us this morning, that there'd be a moment right now for you to come and show us how it is that we can take the first step towards a greater victory in our homes. I pray that our homes would be those places of light where that'd be a bold proclamation and demonstration of your glory. And Lord, I particularly want to pray for any families, any individuals this morning for whom this is this is hard, this is significant, this is this is weighty. For people thinking, yeah, but you, you don't understand my family. You don't understand the the hurt and the layers and the stuff that's gone on and The truth is that I don't understand, Lord, but you do. And if there's one reality that is consistent throughout your scriptures from cover to cover, that no one, that nothing is too far gone, that you are a restorer, that you're a reconciler, that you can work all things together for good, And so I do pray, Lord, because this is what you stirred in my heart this week. I pray for a fresh grace for restoration and reconciliation. I pray for estranged loved ones, Lord, for there to be just divine strategies to reconnect. Lord, I pray for for breakthrough where there's been baggage and hurt and rejection, even if it's decades old. I pray for your light to break through there and make a way where there's been no way. And Lord, as much as it is up to us, let the change begin here this morning. Let it begin with us. Let us be people who choose to radically forgive, who radically reach out even when it hurts. And love always costs something, Lord. You know that more than any of us. It costs you everything. But Lord, we do pray for a blessing. And we thank you this morning for a fresh invitation to take that first step towards all that you have for us and our families. And you know, this morning the ministry team is is here and they're more than happy to pray for anything and everything. But I particularly had this sense that and, and this is just the picture. Let me give you the picture. But it, it was of whole families coming forward, just making that commitment of, yes, we want to walk this out together. We, we want to walk in, in the full reality of what God has for us. That's not precluding singles. And obviously not everybody's family is here. So, of course, you know, if there's issues in the family that I really believe God wants to go there this morning and I want to encourage you to come forward and receive prayer as that first step yes God but I want to encourage particularly if there is families as a whole family unit grab your kids and come forward 
after I finish praying, I'll get some prayer myself because I know that I need it. We need that as a family.